Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back to the one and only Caps the Podcast. Featuring commentary from all of your favorite Cavs the Blog bloggers. Now, now, sit back, relax, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. Oh, wow. Well, you kind of just got to pump up the energy level a little bit. Okay, let's let's bring that in again. I'm Nate Smith. <laughs> Cavs a podcast. I'm here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. <laughs> Man in the box. <laughs> uh, we got uh, so on the on my TV on NBA TV behind me. I got Jalen Johnson. Um, Sitting there, which is one of the guys that a lot of people like in that, you know, 8 to 12 range. Um, supposedly, the rumor is that the Cavs are trying to trade back into the top 10 uh, for that draft pick. Of course, we had a our first watch bomb of the offseason uh, happen today. Uh, you want to take us through the trade, Eli, or do I need to pull that up? I'll try to do this off the top of my head, but I believe it was Memphis trading up to number 10. Uh, they were, and Memphis took on the Bledsoe and Stephen Adams contracts. There are a couple second round picks involved, but Memphis also got, I think, gave up the Lakers 2022 pick. Uh, that was and, top and 10 protected. And received the 17th pick. Correct. Yeah. So, big moves. And, and gave up Jonas Valanciunas. And Jonas Valanciunas had a really good year. Um, a lot of people were surprised. I think the initial reaction, and you know, Nate, I know you're a big Grizzlies fan, and obviously, I think their track record speaks for itself. So, definitely willing to give them the uh, benefit of the doubt. But giving away Valanciunas, I thought was interesting to go for to Stephen Adams. But I guarantee you, whoever they pick at ten will be a lot better than the draft slot he's supposed to go to. Yeah, I think <laughs> some of the guys they were looking at there were Jalen Johnson, um, Josh Giddy, of course, who I love. And um, the other rumor that I heard was they're trying to move up even more, um, which is interesting. My thought was maybe they're dangling Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, to, to move way up. But I, I don't think that probably will happen. But, uh, it, yeah, it's interesting to see what they're doing. And I don't – I actually think it's one of those trades that's 
it's a weird trade that I think is good for both teams because, you know, Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe were just not fits for playing with uh, Zion Williamson. And so to get off that and still have a number 17 pick and also get, you know, a guy who played almost at an all-star level last year in Jonas Valanciunas and actually is a really underrated shooter. Uh, he shot, you know, from 16 feet out to the three line, he shot really well. So he is a guy that isn't, that does provide some spacing and also is a good banger down low. So I really like that pickup for uh, the Pelicans. And like I, like, you know, we both just talked about, uh, you know, former Cavs, Twitter, aficionado Jacob Rosen running analytics for um, Memphis Grizzlies right now. And I think they'll make a good pick. I think, I think they'll just, uh, like you said, draft above the value that's there. So I'm excited for them. I, I like them and I, I hope that trade works out. I, and I like the Pelicans as they got NBA champion David Griffin. So running that team. So I think it'll be, I think it's one of those rare good for both teams trades. Yeah. What's interesting is that, uh, Jonathan, uh, Givoni or Givoni or I can, I don't know how to say his last name. Javoni. Uh, Javoni. Thank you very much. He was reporting that, uh, Giddy is the target, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, because I would say they are, well, it, what I think it means is that Giddy might be a, a rated a little or has been moving up, I think, yeah. a little bit if they think that uh, 10 is where they had to be to get him. Yeah, well, and I think uh, the other target I heard there was Franz Wagner. Um, oh, right, right. Although uh, the, I just heard a rumor that... Like, uh, I heard a rumor that um, Sacktown is locked in uh, with Wagner at a 9. But I don't know. I don't. I didn't hear a source on that. Yeah, and that maybe that's why they want to move up a little more. But right, yeah, it it should be interesting. And you know, for the Cavs, I feel like the general consensus is that they are you know kind of locked in for Francis Mobley at this point. You know, with you know there were rumors. Wodge tweeted today that a lot of people suspected was just an attempt to get. Uh, eyeballs on ESPN's website and on their uh, newsfeed uh, that Detroit was still considering Evan Mobley and Jalen Green at the number one pick, but I think most people think Kate Cunningham is the pick there. You know, the rumor is that Evan Mobley won't even return Houston's calls for the number two slot and that Jalen Green is locked in there and he won't work out for anyone else and that the Cavs are locked into Mobley. So a lot of people think that's a done deal. My personal theory is that Houston's going to throw a curveball because that's kind of what Houston does. And Mobley will not be there for the Cavs at three. They'll either trade out of that pick or just draft him. But, uh, you know, most people don't feel the same way I do. And a lot of Cavs fans are pretty hyped on Mobley right now. Any response to that, Eli? Yeah, I think uh, I'm pretty excited for Mobley. I think there do, does need to be some tempering of expectations. Um, I know right now everyone's going to blaze saying, you know, he could be, he should be a, the number one overall pick, which I agree in most drafts he probably would be, but there are a lot of drafts where the number one overall pick is a little disappointing. Um, as a Cavs fan, we can think of a lot of them. And, uh, you know, even if you look back to last year, 
or, you know, even Luca's draft. You know, DeAndre Ayton's a great player, but if Evan Mobley turns out to Ayton, I still think that's a huge win. And I think that's where, as Cavs fans, we got to temper our expectations and, you know, obviously we hope for the best case scenario, but also we're, let's not, let's not pencil Evan Mobley in the Hall of Fame yet if he is the pick. Um, cause there's still a lot of things that could happen. Maybe someone desperately swings up to two or even saves, uh, for Tito a bunch of money. You just never know at the end of the day. So pretty excited. You know, a lot of people I think have Mobley as the second best player in this draft. So coming away and, with and that some pick people three, have him as the best player. Yeah. So definitely excited. Um, I personally, I think the fit is a little still questionable for me personally, but, uh, I think that. Given the cat Kobe Altman era of draft picks, you know this would easily, this one potentially will be the easily the the mo- one that made the most sense and has probably few detractors in terms of opinion if Mobley is the pick. So, got to move forward and look happy from that perspective. Chris, anything to add there? Yeah, um, I think uh, piggybacking off of uh, Eli's point about fit, um, that's the one gray cloud i hate to be a pessimist i hate to play the role of pessimist now but the one gray cloud that i see in the evan mobley pick at this point is the chatter reported by uh chris fedor of cleveland.com um about how the Cavs believe that uh mobley and allen will fit as a front court um that i hope is just uh posturing uh or part posturing uh, on the part of, uh, the Cavs organization to, uh, maintain Allen's value post Mobley draft pick. Um, but, um, I have serious questions about that fit, um, as a front court, especially, uh, if Okoro is still there, um, as the small forward, um, and then the lack of spacing that inevitably will follow. Um, so if there's a gray cloud in the, in the Mobley, uh, situation it would be that and it'll be interesting to see if it's just smoke and it's just posturing or if they truly believe that Mobley is a four and can coexist with Jared Allen as a five and uh, that'll be something to watch because uh, I think we saw a few iterations of Twin Towers uh, in the the front of the Cavs last season and I think the results were probably disastrous um, going offhand from the on-off minutes uh, with, uh, granted, it, it was Drummond and McGee were not the shooters necessarily that uh, Mobley's reported to be, uh, reputed to be. So, um, but, but that's, that's the thing that, um, that's the thing that came to my mind uh, off of, uh, off of uh, Eli's concern about fit. I, I'll say... You know, from a fit standpoint, that that's not the only issue with this Cavs roster. I mean, I, I've been taking issue. I, I've been writing a lot of tweets and deleting them uh, that basically say, you know, anybody who thinks that this Cavs quote unquote core is awesome is deluding themselves a little bit. Um, you know, Allen and Mobley, there's no guarantee either of them can stretch the floor. Uh, so they are, you know, compacting the paint quite a bit. And then you've got two tiny guards. Uh, and then you're adding a 3 and D, you know, wing with uh, Okoro, who hasn't proved that there's any three consistently in his game. 
Um, and, and I certainly think he will put in the work to get there, but there's no, no guarantee even if he puts in the work that that will happen. And plus he is 6'6". You know, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, be a great guard against, uh, you know, taller NBA players. Uh, and I do feel like there's going to be a lot of mismatch issues for the Cavs with that kind of course slash starting lineup. Um, and if, you know, the Cavs are... If recent history is any indication, uh, whoever they drafted three will be starting from day one. Then, of course, you've got Larry Nance uh, is probably your third big off the bench. And I think if you draft an Evan Mobley, you're pretty much consigning yourself to the fact that, hey, uh, Kevin Love is an afterthought or, you know, he's anchoring your bench unit or you're trading it or you're just buying him out because at this point, nobody's going to trade for him unless the Cavs are giving up an op. an asset. So here's two you know. questions then for the floor yeah. is two questions that it brings to mind is do we think Jared Allen is a Cav next season? Do we think if Kevin Love is Mobley. a Cav? Yes, exactly. But, uh, assuming they draft Mobley, do we think Jared Allen is a Cav next season? Do we think Kevin Love is a Cav next season? Do we, and who do we think is more likely to either be a Cav or not be a Cav? I leave the floor to you guys. Yeah, I think Jared Allen's going to be a calf, uh, much more likelier than Kevin Love. I still think there will be some hope that they could get off the Kevin Love contract. And personally, if it costs Colin Sexton, I would still do it. Um, obviously, you're not going to get no value for Sexton because I think he's more valuable than just this, you know, salary dump player. But I, I still think Jared Allen does have a role, and if he, if the Cavs are able to sign him to something under. $20 million, maybe Clint Capella money. I think that contract is not a negative, and that's something you could move if Mobley turns out to develop into being, you know, more of a better fit for a team con- construct as a five. So that's kind of where my stance is, I think. I, I think it's an incredibly fluid situation. Um, Mobley is definitely a guy I think that. He's so light, as Austin Carr would call him, light in the loafers, uh, or light in the britches. Uh, I think those are both the phrases that he uses. That it's hard to pencil him in as a starting five. But, you know, Jared Allen is a guy that the Cavs have invested in. I think they are going to re-sign him regardless of whether it's a fit or not. And if it isn't working, they'll try to flip him at the trade deadline next year. I don't think there's any way that either the Cavs don't try to execute a sign-in trade with Jared Allen or just sign him outright and just say, hey, we're matching any offer. Wow. Just because of the commitment they've made to them, to him financially or, or from a draft capital standpoint already. Um, and, you know, they paid Kevin Love $125 million because they thought they'd be able to flip him. And clearly... Jared Allen has a more sustainable path towards that happening. So I don't see them deviating from things they've done in the past from that standpoint. I'll say the other thing is that uh, there, there are deals out there in the offseason. You know, the Toronto Raptors are reportedly very interested in Allen, and he could be a fit there. And they're obviously, you know, draft capital and, you know, players under their uh, control that they could move. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. I, I think 
I think regardless, they will either sign and trade or re-sign Jared Allen, and it, it could be he could be on the team for four years, or he could be on the team for six months. So, right on. That's my take. Yeah, I think I'm of two minds. Uh, personally, is I think I would agree with both of you that uh, Jared Allen's more likely to be a Cav than Kevin Love at the beginning of next season, and that they. And then that the move would be to resign him. I'm not sure if that's actually the correct move, just because of the because of the need for uh, Mobley to to develop Mobley. Um, but uh, it's interesting. Do, uh, the question that comes to mind now uh, from what you guys were saying is, what's the number? Do you think that uh, what's the number? Do you think the Cavs sign Jared Allen at? To me, it's eighteen to twenty million a year for four years. Yeah, I think the most uh, that I could I would like the cast to do is stay under twenty two million a year. I think his agent's going to obviously ask for as much as he can, but you know some numbers, some recent reporting that I saw, which was really encouraging, was that you know Chris Fedor, who's very plugged in, says that you know Clint Capella, Miles Turner is more the contract that he's going to emulate, which is in the eighteen million dollar range. So that's definitely um, something that I think could be good, and I think that price point. Could make sense, but it's Cleveland, so they might have to overpay a little bit, and uh, I'd be okay with that. Well, I think that's a little misleading because, you know, from a pure dollar standpoint, that might make sense. But if you're his agent and those are his comps, you say, okay, I don't want to do this as a pure dollar standpoint. Let's do this as a percentage of the salary cap. And if the salary cap goes up um, or stay static from when those guys sign their deals or, you know, from last year, it, it may be a little higher than that. One thing, yeah, one thing I was going to say was that in looking at the two rumored teams that are supposedly chasing after Allen, I think it was, you said Toronto definitely was one. I think Charlotte might have been the other. Um, and there's a need there, obviously. Looking at their two cap situations, it looks like they have room to offer Allen up to twenty to twenty-two million per year. I don't know if that strikes uh, strikes any of your ears as uh, reasonable. I mean, everything in the NBA is you know what the market will bear. I you know the market isn't set until it is, so we'll see what happens. I know that's vague, but you know situations change every single year. Right. Right. And a lot of times when teams strike out on their first options, they pivot to newer options. I could see a team like the Knicks uh, being very interested in a Jared Allen, you know, as a rim protector, as a guy who finishes well. I think he was. Uh, I think the Knicks were rumored in a in a different report, if I'm not mistaken. You know, and they have oh, who's their big center? Not Nerlens Noel, the guy who Mitch, Mitchell, Robinson. Mitchell Robinson. Mitch Robinson. They have Mitch Robinson, but that guy can't stay out of foul trouble. You know, or and. And maybe that's a guy you offer to the Cavs in a signatory too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, then that would lead me to believe, based on what you're saying, Nate, is that um, he's going to get a market value deal. He's going to. He might even get a. He might even get a free agent premium, basically. Uh, well, and you got to think the guy's what is he? Twenty three. Yes. The guy still has upside. You know, right. we saw glimpses of him. Shooting very well from outside at times. Um, yep. And also making the weak side pass. 
Uh, yeah, so he's not a guy who's done developing at that age. You know, he's still got two or three more years of development before he reaches his prime. So yep. I, I certainly think a team could take that into account when offering him a contract. So it, it's not outside the realm of possibility that goes above that number a little bit. So Right, yeah. Um, you know, and that does segue us a little bit into... My pet peeve du jour is people including Larry Nance in their fake trades. <laughs> um, you know, Larry Nance today was in many people's fake trades for trading into the top 10, which I think is a little ridiculous for a player that has the injury history in the last two years that Larry Nance has. And mm-hmm. as a guy who thinks the Cavs would be utter morons to trade Larry Nance... Uh, I'm happy that that is probably the case. Um, you know, the argument I made today is if you're trading Larry Nance, you might as just, well just root for the uniforms and just call them the Cal- Cleveland uniforms. You know, if you're trading Larry Nance for, you know, late lottery draft picks, you might as well just be trading away the seats and the championship banners and maybe the Larry O'Brien trophy that you have in the lobby for championship or for draft picks because you don't care about culture and you don't care about, uh, you know, the team's history and you don't care about a guy that goes above and beyond to be among the best citizens in the NBA and a guy that's absolutely a culture setter for your team. Uh, you just care about stupid draft picks when you've got like eight players under your roster to develop already, which I, I just think it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And if they trade Larry Nance, you know, this might be the last podcast you ever hear me on. <laughs> there we go. We got the rant, baby. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh, Nate, is goodness. there an acceptable Larry Nance trade for you, though? But the only acceptable Larry Nance trade would be for LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy whose family history is linked with the Cavs. The guy that, you know, was on many people's shortlist for the player that contributed most to his community in the NBA this year. I think if you are going to field a team of all guys under 24 years old, like, why did you even trade Kevin Porter Jr.? You know, why... If you're going to trade the best of your team from a culture standpoint, why did you even bother to trade the worst of your team? Because if you're saying that, then none of the stuff you're saying about culture matters at all. Um, I, I just... Only LeBron James, from a team history and fit standpoint, would would make sense for you know Larry Nance Jr. Otherwise... Just makes a sense, and and let's be honest, he's a perfect fit. If you have Mobley and Jared Allen, he can play with both those guys. So he's your third big off the bench, and he can play a little bit of three, four, or five. Those guys are absolutely invaluable. Um, the one thing that is a caution for me is his injury history over the last two seasons. But I'll say I'd rather have an injured Larry Nance than you know anyone else in the NBA or any of those guys that are available from five to, you know, 60 from an NBA draft standpoint. What about you, Eli? Are, are you of a different mind than me? And 
I promise not to bite your head off if you disagree with me. At least not bite it off too much. I'll be honest. I think there are other players I would trade for, but the bar is pretty high. It'd have to be, at the minimum, someone like Brandon Ingram. I mean, that's like the bare minimum player that I would want back in a, in a Larry Nance trade. But I do see your point. If the Cavs are serious about being more about than just collecting assets... They shouldn't be trading Larry Nance Jr., especially for like a late lottery pick in this draft. That just wouldn't make sense and be kind of, you got to try to win at some point, and that'd be an anti-winning move at this juncture. Yeah, I, I will say the other part of that is, you know, I've said, I've been on record in the past of saying, hey, maybe Colin Sexton for the 13th pick in a, you know, future protected pick. Here's my rationale. Larry Nance is a guy that could have played in this last NBA Finals. I don't think Colin Sexton sees the floor in this last NBA Finals because he's such a turnstile on defense. Um, Larry Nance Jr. is a guy that could play for, you know, 20 minutes a night for any team in the league. Um, And his advanced stats numbers and his on-court, off-court numbers all back that up. Uh, And they don't for Colin Sexton, even though he scores 25 points a game. So, you know... Larry Nance, guy that can't necessarily stay healthy, but absolutely pivotal to the identity and culture of the Cavs. And if he's gone, you know, peace out, Cavs. Peace out, Kobe Altman. <laughs> I don't know any know any other way to say that. Yeah, going well, and it, what your your uh, well said rant, Nate, makes me. Uh, it, it, recalls to my mind uh, Kobe Altman's postseason press conference where he's saying we're trying to supplement this roster with veterans um, who know how to win to help teach the young guys how to win. And uh, at, at the price that he comes at, I don't think there's a better guy that you could possibly get for the money than Larry Nance Jr. So it, it would completely Oh, I'm violate. 100% with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and then let's look at how many guys the Cavs are developing already. You know, we got Colin Sexton, we got Darius Garland, we got Isaac Okoro, we got Jared Allen, we've got whoever the Cavs draft this year. We've got Dean Wade, we've got, um, oh, what was the. On the really margins, we have Lamar Stevens, we Lamar have Stevens. Roderick Thomas, we, you know, there's. You there's know, Chetty other, Osmond. Yep, you Chetty know, Osmond. These still- guys, there's seven or eight guys already in the pipeline is. Trading Larry Nance for one of these guys who is would admittedly be a good player and probably would be top five in a lot of drafts if you're getting a top ten player in this draft. Is that worth trading a Larry Nance when you are basically going to set the rest of these guys back from a culture standpoint? I don't think it is. So that's my take. You know, you may disagree with me. I have opinions. I don't back away from them. <laughs> so... <laughs> no, I mean, I, to me, the only trade that I would have been remotely interested for Larry Nance um, would be something like both seven and fourteen from the Golden State Warriors, which they well, would, that's not happening. Exactly, exactly, and so that's why I, there's just a disconnect, I think, between the value he provides for the Cavs, which is it's so outsized from his contract. And, uh, you know, uh, so I just don't see how they could get 
Because, I mean, that, that was the thing about last season was that there are people, you know, it was reportedly, it was reported that uh, teams were offering two late non-lottery um, picks for Larry Nance. And it's like, that's a lateral move at best. And well, even a mid and, and I, mid uh, and even a mid lottery this uh, draft is probably a lateral move at best. Well, and I I look at it even further. If you think that the guy that you are getting at three is you know Evan Mobley or Jalen Green, probably going to be one of those two guys. Uh, most likely Mobley from everything we're hearing about now. If you think that guy is a franchise changing guy. And you don't have a veteran leader of this team to take him under his wing. And you are just being stupid as hell as an organization. <laughs> I mean, you know, how many times did you hear LeBron James talk about that? Zydrunas Ogaskis was the guy that took him under his wing and, you know, was the first guy he talked to and was the leader of that team when he got there. If you don't have that guy in place... You're an idiot as far as how you're trying to develop a superstar. You know, I, I, I don't know any other way to say that. I mean, what are you doing if the elder statesman of your team is Torian Prince? I mean, what is that? <laughs> I mean, well, we got to slander Torian Prince right now. I love no, the but man. he's been on the team for, for, yeah, yeah, season. I know what you mean. I know, you know, it's just, like what are you doing? You're you're almost selling Evan Mobley short if you trade a Larry Nance Jr. Amen. You know, totally and agree. you believe that's your your pick. I'm just you know you at a certain point, just treating every single player as an asset is a disservice to everybody that you have working for you. Amen. Amen. So I I'm just baffled by that whole take. Um, and, you know, I got into it on Twitter a little bit with, with somebody I respect, absolutely. But, you know, somebody said that, you know, the way you build a team is collecting assets. And I don't think that's true at all. The way you build a team is not by collecting assets. The way you collect assets is by collecting assets. Building a team requires setting a culture and setting a, you know, a shared belief that you hand down from, you know, season to season among your team, uh, among your players, that this is the way we operate. If you are just fielding a team of Tory and Prince and a bunch of guys under 25, that's not building a culture, you know, and, right. and I'll get off my soapbox. I'm sorry, but it's just, it just baffling to me, you know, what people are talking about. I don't know. And, and, I'm from the standpoint, if the Cavs want to trade back into the top 10 with a future first or, you know, a player in a future first, I'm all for it. But Larry Nance Jr. literally is the only veteran leader this team has on it, especially if you think his Kevin Love is, you know, buyout bait. Right. You know, he's the only guy there. So, and you you got to have somebody to be the, the standard bearer and the, and the guy that preserves your culture from a team standpoint. So, because coaches come and go, but players don't. So, I I don't it's know what to well say said. about that. Yeah, it's real. It's well said because it just it's kind of like um, the approach that I get mad about. Well, it, we kind of saw a play out with uh, Drummond, for instance, last year, and bringing in Jared Allen and everything is just. Uh, and, and I think you made this point uh, mid season last year, Nate was um, just uh, you know. 
if you it's too much it's this it's this undying devoted faith into like mori ball or money ball type idea of how to build a team without like seeing the guys as real human beings with feelings and you know and and that kind of goes to what you're talking about with building a team you know you to build a team that works together and has chemistry you know you need guys to get along together and and come together for a common purpose and if they're seen by the organization as nothing more than an asset, then I'm not sure that they're going to be that willing to, you know, lay the line out there for you, pull a deli, you know, get dehydrated and need IVs after the game and stuff you like that. You can't expect know? people to sacrifice for you if you're not going to sacrifice for them. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I'll say the corollary of that is, you know, the way I've talked about the way they treated Colin Sexton in the offseason, and it, it's, yeah, and the way they treated Andre Drummond, like you said, you know, it, it's it's a little disconcerting uh, from what we've seen from the Cavs so far, and and I hope that trend changes. Uh, I, I'll be really disappointed if they trade Nance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what else yeah. to say beyond that. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got on that soapbox, me personally. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know. And I know Eli. You don't 100 percent agree. And and I will say there may be offers out there that the Cavs would definitely look at. But you know, I think my my biggest point is the you have to have veteran leadership for Evan Mobley. Um, or whom, or Jalen Green, if if you're bringing that guy in, so so I don't know. Um, outside of that, do you think the Cavs have an opportunity to trade back into, I would say, a the lottery and b the uh, first round, Eli? I think it will be tough, honestly. Um, you know, I think Sexton maybe a little bit more. Like Sexton could probably get the Cavs a couple picks um in the first round but i'm just not sure that it's worth it you know the Cavs, if they do trade him we're going to have to try to replace his production and as much as we you know there are a lot of flaws to sexton's game um you know i just don't think he's valuable enough right now to get a high enough pick for where it's worth it I, i'm with you a little bit i think uh Outside of the lottery, I don't think it's worth it at all unless you think there's a future pick there that you say, hey, I don't think this team with Sexton is going to be very good, and they remove the lottery protections. It might be worth a guess at or a uh, stab at it. But other than that, no. I'm You know, all the rumors we've heard is that the Cavs don't want to trade Sexton for anything other than you know, a move up from a quote-unquote star standpoint or a, you know, I, I would say top nine pick at this point uh, plus, you know, a top nine pick plus another player. But other than that, I, I don't see the Cavs making that move. I, I think we'll see Colin Sexton on the Cavs at the start of the season. I don't think it will be under a new contract or a, under a contract extension. I think the Cavs aren't going to offer what Colin Sexton wants, which is probably the max. So he's probably going to bet on himself knowing Colin Sexton. So we'll see what happens. Any response to that, Chris or Eli? Yeah, I mean, 
I think if the, if the Cavs make a deal, it'll be with Sexton. Um, that's the only opportunity I think they truly have to try and get back into the lottery. Um, I think uh, I would probably be more willing than perhaps either of you to do it. I would be eager to try and... To me, it's it's a weird thing, and I said this on a thread I can't remember recently, but uh, I think the thing about trading Sexton and why it should be done is that it kind of resets the timeline a little bit for the Cavs. To, it, it resets the timeline from Sexton to Mobley and DG. I think it would be, for a, for a long-term plan, I think that's why you do the trade, um, and you try and find one of the wings that fall in this draft. Um, and it seems like that's what they're angling for with the Jalen Johnson visit and the rumors there. Um, also with Kaminga, I think Kaminga has a chance to really fall. Barnes possibly. Um, I think there's going to be a wing that falls out of the, you know, just out of the top 10 or around 10. Um, and I think that's what precipitated the Memphis move is in part because of that. But I think, uh, it would behoove them, and if there was a long-term vision, if Kobe had some type of future security, I think he might even be more willing to reset and do a mini reset of the timeline. Say, hey, okay, now our core is Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, plus the wing that we take this year, and we have uh, Larry Nance and Tari Prince as the veterans to, you know, move these kids along. Um, that would be the ideal scenario in my mind. Um, I are they. The question is, are they willing to part with Sexton? Do they get the kind of offers for Sexton that will um, that will trigger a move? I don't know. Um, but uh, that would be the ideal, is a, kind of a mini reset of the timeline if you trade Sexton with DG, Mobley, and a wing. And you kind of take that trio forward for the next two to three years in development. So that, that's, that's where I would go um, as far as um, trading back into the lottery for the Cavs. Eli, any response there? Yeah, personally, you know, I'm pretty low on Sexton. Probably not as low as Chris, but it's just hard to replace 24 points of scoring. And I sincerely hope that um, just because we draft a player like Mobley, uh, the Cavs don't think that, oh, you know, our defense is going to magically improve. Like, the limitation of that Sexton backcourt is still going to be there. And as good as much as they could improve internally – it's just not realistic to hope that for the team construct that uh, sex land is a thing that will work in the future. And I just don't see any signs to show that it can um, still. So I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very curious about what the options are out there to kind of reach, you know, reset the timeline, like Chris said, to, uh, you know, construct the team a little bit better. And it was interesting because, uh, I'm not sure if you guys follow Sam Vecini, but his argument for the Cavs and Mobley and why he didn't love it as much as some other people was that the Cavs draft for to maximize assets, but none of the assets on the Cavs right now fit. And I actually kind of agree with him, especially with um, Garland and Sexton, but... Yeah, that's a lot of what I was saying earlier, but yeah, yeah. please go on. So, you know, I just think that um, in order to be a winning team, you can't have a backcourt that just gets physically dominated by every other team in the NBA that has a normal-sized <laughs> two-guard. So That's just a funny line. I'm sorry, Eli. <laughs> well, it's the truth, unfortunately. 
I'm with you. So my sincerest hope, uh, just from a pure comedy standpoint, is that if Sexland gets broken up, that Colin Sexton goes to Miami so that he can be part of the butt sex backcourt. <laughs> with with uh, Jared Butler. So that that is my hope that we break up Sexland for butt sex. We dream big here, Nate. You're dreaming <laughs> we big. We do, here. we do. I saw that last week and the twelve year old boy in me just giggled for like ten minutes straight. So oh my God. <laughs> So I'm very excited about that possibility. Yeah, I mean, if they do trade love in that deal, it's also butt oh, sex yes. love. Oh, sex. yes, of course, Eli. I forgot you 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 came on. You tweeted the perfect corollary with your masterful control of Cavs the tweets. So I I agree with you <laughs> that that is the greatest of all possible timelines. You know, the of all the alternate universes that could exist, anyone that has butt sex love. Um, it, it should be preferred. It's gonna turn me into <laughs> well, it's gonna turn me we, into a Heat fan here. <laughs> wow. The uh, <laughs> well, uh, I I am you know there are a couple of dates to keep in mind. I think they have to uh for the that possibility of butt sex left to happen. <laughs> Goran Dragic, <laughs> Goran Dragic and Iguodala's team options have to get picked up. So. We got to keep in mind that I think those dates are August first, so shortly right after the draft, we'll see if, if even that's a possibility. So, is the, I, I is the first day of free agency August first? Team options will get picked up. To be honest, you don't think they will? I I definitely don't think Iguodala as well. I do think Dragic's might. Right on. Yeah, I agree. I think the Heat want the cap space to go through Lowry at this point. Um, although the Pelicans also have it now too, so yeah, I I mean if you're Lowry sitting there, you're probably going to go to the Heat over the um, the Pelicans. Yeah, but that was. An I heard the rumor that they might offer three years, ninety million for Lowry, and that is that's not a hard paycheck to turn down. Well, that was the thing. That's the thing, though, Nate. Is I had heard. Well, the criticism of the Pelicans' move was. They became they they made they created all this cap space, but they're not a they're not a free agent destination. So, are they actually going to be able to sign anybody? Well, they're all, they they can overpay. But the other part of that, you have to remember, as much draft capital as they have in terms of future firsts for a Lakers squad. That let's be honest, we don't know that's what that's going to look like in two or three years. Um. You can trade now players into their cap space. So that is an option for teams that A, are trying to clear cap space to sign free agents, um, and B, you know, midseason or whatever. So I'm of the opinion if you are a rebuilding team, cap space is a wonderful thing to have because you can absorb other teams' bad contracts. Look at Oklahoma City and Al Horford and maybe possibly in the future Kevin Love. Um, with your cap space, or you can trade for, you know, positive players and some of the many draft picks that those teams have and trade those guys right into your cap space rather than having to match salary. So that's a big asset for a rebuilding team in a way that I don't think a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, NBA Twitter pundits really think about it, but you know, the Daryl Morris of the world absolutely did. So 
Yeah, I guess the the thing that in my mind is then what do we classify the Pelicans as in terms of because they're feeling like basically they're feeling the pressure now because of Zion. I, I think the Pelicans absolutely want to contend. I mean, they have Brandon Ingram already, who's a 20-plus point-per-game scorer. They have Zion Williamson, who is as unstoppable a player as there is in the NBA, and a guy we literally have never seen before in the NBA from a strength and ability to score in the paint standpoint. And then you add a guy who is a borderline all-star in Jonas Valanciunas, you know, that is a team that absolutely needs a dynamic backcourt to go with those guys and a guy that, and players that can feed those guys. And most importantly, players that can stay healthy, which, you know, Lonzo Ball has not shown an ability to consistently stay healthy throughout his NBA career. You know, and which is why I think he won't be there. And plus, you know, his streakiness as a shooter, you absolutely need to surround those two guys with shooting to maximize their offensive uh, output. I I think they are a win-now team, just like you said, because of the pressure that Zion puts on them. Because, you know, if Zion says, hey, I don't want to be here, I'm not going to sign an extension. Now, let's be honest, no one who's ever been offered a max extension has turned it down. Um, But if he says, I want to be in New York, that is a big black eye for the Pelicans. So... And the rumors I, I are think out they're there. a win now team. Yeah, the rumors are out there too. Yeah. What about what about you, Eli? Do you uh, is there any other you know situations kind of like that where you see teams you don't know whether they're going to contend or not? I think for me, the Cavs are a team that's absolutely going to be back in the lottery next year, especially if they're quote unquote resetting their timeline with another young player. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Eli? Do you think the Cavs are resetting their timeline no matter what? They're back in the lottery next year? Yeah, it's interesting. I think Kobe Altman doesn't want to be that um, because of his personal job security. So, I don't know. It's just tough, though. I just can't can't imagine that Dan Gilbert is just sitting there saying, like, thank God we're, we're in the lottery again. And we've never made, I've never made the playoffs without LeBron James. So, you know, part of me says I think that they're going to uh, really try to win like they say they always will. And in terms of other teams that are kind of sneakily possibly resetting, I think the Bulls might be one. Um, that's one that kind of always intrigues me because they do have a lot of young players, but not, uh, not, not a star piece except for Levine, I guess, if you want to build around him. Um, and, and they're also a team that made a trade that turned out disastrously last year with Yo- uh, for uh, Vucevic. Yeah, and they you know they don't have their pick this year or in two years, so it's just going to be interesting to see how they kind of manage that and uh, get through things. I just think the Cavs are really going to actually push the accelerator. I still think that they're a dark horse for Ben Simmons. I'm a big fan. I would still consider that. Um, I know some other people aren't, but, um, you know, that's a trade that I'd, I'd be all over if I was Cleveland. So, so million-dollar question, and if you answer it wrong, you are no longer a member of Cavs the Blog or Cavs the Podcast. 
Would you trade Larry Nance in the Ben Simmons trade? I personally and, would and not. I'm kidding. You're always part I, of it. I actually would not. I actually would not. I think you wouldn't because you're they play theoretically on the Cavs, they would play the same position and Nance is a better fit in terms of the modern NBA of scoring and pa- not passing, but he would be a better fit of creating spacing for a team. And, you know, I think it, it costs a lot more than Na- just Nance. So I think it's oh, not worth giving up the assets to do that and give up a player who should be who should be pushed more as a fan favorite instead of Colin Sexton. So, yeah, I, I think so. What do you think a Ben Simmons trades looks like? I mean, to me, it's centered around Colin Sexton, um, probably Torian Prince from a salary standpoint and, you know, one or two other guys. And then future first round picks. Is that what it looks like to you? Yeah, it's probably like Oz. I think I don't think the Cavs are going to be able to get off of Kevin Love's contract in that Simmons deal because they'd have to give up maybe no, another first first round pick. I think when I was messing around the trade machine, it had to be like Prince Osman Sexton to make the numbers work, and it'd probably be at least one lightly protected pick. Um, and honestly, I would hope it's actually next year versus 2023 because 2023 is supposed to be another really elite, uh, draft class. So that's, that'd be what I, I think the baseline starts at, but, um, I'm not sure. I'm sure Philly will get better offers from teams like Portland or some other, you know, opportunities. Yeah. I've heard the Dame Lillard. Uh, Simmons trade is is one a lot of people have there in their back pocket. Yeah, I mean, I would personally love that for Damian Lillard. Him and Embiid would be a really good fit together and a lot of fun. But I'm, I think Daryl Morey's smart, and he's he's a guy that isn't going to settle to get an asset like CJ McCollum if Lillard ever becomes available. He would kick himself in the. He would just be kicking at himself. So <laughs> I do think that uh, I like I like him waiting. Uh, for a potential Lillard trade and using Simmons as kind of the headliner in that trade. Nice. Nice. So um, are, are we all in agreement that we're going to see Evan Mobley in a Cavs uniform by, or at least a Cavs hat by <laughs> the end of the day on Thursday or by, I guess, the third pick? Do you think there's, I guess, Chris, I'll ask you first, it, do you think there's any chance that the A, the Cavs trade out of this, and B, that Evan Mobley's not the guy uh, at three. Um, there is a chance they'll trade out of it. Um, I mean, we were just talking about the pressure on Kobe to win, and it's scaring me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, ideally, uh, they're picking three and they're picking Mobley is the ideal. And I'm hoping for it. Um, so if you had to put a percentage on it that they trade out of that pick, what is your percentage? And I'm saying trade down. I don't think I don't think any of us. And correct me if I'm wrong. Please think actually trading up is a realistic option. Yeah. No. I mean, I, it'd be yeah, absolutely. I think I, I'm saying confidence interval to me is like ninety percent. It's Mobley, and we're staying at three. Confidence interval. I love it. Eli, go. what's the percentage the Cavs are getting Evan Mobley? I think it's uh, sorry the around, confidence interval. <laughs> I think it's ninety percent plus, like uh, Chris. 
Ooh. Okay. So, so I'm going to go. My number is 49%. Oh, my I goodness, Oh, geez. Somebody's going to come in and scoop them at the last minute. I just feels like so many people think Evan Mobley is the second best player in this draft. And so many people think that. And to me, Jalen Green, like, how do you draft a guy at number two, played 12 games in the G League, and that's his whole resume? I just think somebody, I think the odds are more likely than not that come someone comes in and scoops the Cavs. So I'm going to put it at 51%. The Cavs don't get Evan Mobley. But you, you know, you, now that you're saying this, Nate, and also now that we're just we're recording this post Memphis deal, I'm thinking that's their target. What, like a Memphis deal? Yeah, well, like uh, the rumor was that Memphis was trying to move up from ten. So who would Memphis offer that? I don't think. Do you think Memphis could actually move all the way up to number three? That's Can crazy. They? Can they? I don't know. I I don't think so. I mean, I don't think what what could Memphis offer outside of Ja Morant to move them to number three? Jaron Jackson Jr. Ah, no. Jaron Jackson Jr., I think they will absolutely dangle. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a guy who can't stay out of foul trouble in playoff games because he's too upright when he guards people. I don't think he, and I think too many people know that. I If the Cavs were to trade out a three for an Evan Mobley for Jaron Jackson Jr., then Kobe Altman should be run out of town on a rail. <laughs> I won't disagree with you. <laughs> but I don't think Memphis has anything to offer unless it's Who's the a, team that you have in mind then? Who do you think is trade who do you think is in the Evan who's the I, I sneak think, attack of a Mobley sniper? I, I, so I think Toronto absolutely could jump up to number two to take Evan Mobley. Um I think that Oklahoma City has so many draft picks. They could move up to number two to take Evan Mobley. Although, I, if you're Houston, why the hell do you need more of... Why do you need to control 80% of the draft in future years to <laughs> to get that guy? Um, uh, Oklahoma City, what was the other... Who's picking five? Orlando, five and eight, plus another player and or future draft picks to move up to number two? I would certainly think about that if I was Houston. Um, or the Cavs, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I those think, are three legit. Those are three legit uh, scenarios you just gave there. I'm, a, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my first rodeo, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I am very intrigued by this, you know, fake trade. I've heard five and eight from Orlando plus the Cavs flip. Kevin Love for um, Gary Harris. I think that's if you're the Cavs, that's a move you got to be like, hmm, that's that's intrig- that's juicy. Um, especially if you think Houston scoops Evan Mobley too. You know, I I don't think to me it's a two D draft, not a three D draft, like a lot of teams are saying. I think um, Jalen Green. There's a lot of redundancy with the other picks. You know, anywhere from four to four to eight, uh, a Jalen Suggs at five, I think would be an awesome fit for the Cavs. Um, That'd be a steal. 
Oh, it would be. I think uh, Kuminga could end up being one of... I, I think he's a guy that could play 15 years, given his functional strength in the NBA, and if he gets a, if he gets a jump shot. Um, you know, a Josh Giddy, I love at eight. Um, I would totally... I would probably do that deal five and eight and Harrison Love for the number three pick, but I'm not a guy that is 100% enamored of Evan Mobley just from his short resume and just from the fact that guys at his size bomb out more often than they succeed in the NBA. So, you know, I've heard, what was the great quote I heard today? Evan Mobley is either Hashim Thabit or he's a seven foot Kevin Durant. (laughs) So, (laughs) How about you, Eli? Would you, uh, would you, do you think a trade, like, is there a trade that you'd be intrigued by? A trade down that you'd be intrigued by? Yeah, I actually, Nate and I have talked about that Orlando trade. I would do that in a heartbeat because it just clears up so many questions. You get two chances at the apple. Um, oh, I love, I love the phrasing. I, you know, it's the Cavs, man. We, 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 have, <laughs> we have a, we have a franchise, we were fans of a franchise that, Somehow in the most loaded draft, we took and we had Wiggins, and that ended up being Kevin Love and working out. But imagine if LeBron didn't come back, how depressing winning that lottery would have been. Somehow um, in the Giannis Adetokounmpo, um, you know, Stifle Tower draft, um, they ended up with Anthony Bennett and Sergey Karasev <laughs> as their first two picks in the first 18 picks. I mean, yeah, they are they are a snake bit franchise from from a draft standpoint. Uh, Eli, who do you take at 5 and 8 if that were the case? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I would probably take Scotty Barnes at <laughs> 5. I knew that was the end. Okay, okay. The word probably should just be removed from that sentence. That's right. Like, Eli that post, would Nate. be, he would set a land speed record to get <laughs> to the podium to hand that draft card to Adam Silver for number five if Scotty Barnes were still there. Okay, number eight, Eli. I, I had to uh, just, I had to doubt your, uh, your, um, the way you sublimated that, I had to. I had to doubt your your cool there. You would have been like a geek. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I can't even deny it. I can't even deny it. It'd be Scotty Barnes, and the for eight, it's a little tricky um, because if I didn't take Scotty Barnes at eight, I would definitely take Josh Giddy. But I kind of feel like whoa, their upside is repetitive a little bit in terms of being that big playmaking wing in the NBA. So for eight, I would actually probably take. If you say Moses Corey Moody. Kispert here, you're fired. No, Moses Moody for sure. Okay, oh, Moses okay. Moody. I like that pick. Um, so, tell us about Moses Moody, Eli. So Moses Moody, I think he has probably the highest floor after you know the first four, after the ledge, you know, top elite four um, guys. He's a good shooter. Who's number plays- four in the elite four? Suggs. Suggs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think he is a great shooter. He can be a three and D wing in the NBA. I think there is some upside in terms of off, off the bounce shooting and his defensive upside. Uh, I do worry a little bit that he's 
You know, I remember last year everyone thought Okoro could be kind of the a three that guarded fours, but then you know he got into an actual NBA measurement and he's an inch shorter. His wingspan's a little shorter. He can probably more guard twos and threes, even though he's barrel chested and you know stronger than a lot of players in the league today as a twenty year old. But I, I do worry a little bit that Moody is uh, not big enough to truly guard threes all the time. My second choice for that pick is actually Franz Wag- Wagner. Um, I Wagner. think he's actually. I think he's a really good fit. Sorry, I did a little. I had to do a little Wagner there. There you go. Yeah, okay. That's fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's those are the those would be probably my guys that I would be thinking at with those picks. What about you guys? I am very, very, very intrigued by Kuminga. Like the the tales of his functional strength are kind of blowing me away. And, What'd you hear? Huh? What'd you hear? Like like he's moving guys off their spots with a with a pivot with a spin move. Like there's nobody that is stronger than him. That they matched up on him in practice and in and in workouts. Okay. So you know, from a guy at that age that 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 is that strong, uh, has a great drive. You know, I don't think there's anybody that thinks he's not going to be a high level NBA player. The question is, is how good does his shot get? Um, <laughs> which of course, you know, in all the podcasts that I've listened to and I've I've read about. Everybody's like, yeah, this guy could be a great player if his shot comes around. The problem is, is these guys are so damn young. It's, you know, you see these guys and that when the one and done rule is made drafting such a crapshoot and, and yes, it is slightly better than when high school players were coming out. But now that there are, you know, we've got the G League and the ABL and the NCAA, which will apparently just be the SEC uh, in the future. Um, now that these things are going on, it's really hard to tell what um, these guys are coming out. And it's really hard to project for a lot of these guys. So you take but, him at five or you take him at five. Or are you waiting to eight? I hope he's there at eight. I hope I I'm probably with Eli. I probably take Scotty Barnes at five. If he's there or if he's not, I take Suggs. I would love if Suggs is there at five. Um, and then if Giddy's there at eight, I take him. Um, or yeah, it's probably the next guy is Franz Wagner. Um, mainly because I love saying Franz Wagner. So, and I can just imagine Ben Worth on a podcast saying Franz Wagner (laughs) with like that awesome German accent. (laughs) So that is my, that would be my hope at five and eight. And actually, I really like Gary Harris. I actually think Gary Harris is a guy that's going to have a big bounce back next year. Uh, a la Thad Young in Chicago last year and a guy that was really injured the year before this last year and is still kind of getting his legs back. Um, I, I think he will bounce back a lot and I think he's a really useful player that just kind of didn't fit Denver's timeline anymore. So I would love to flip Kevin Love for him. Yeah, yeah. Nate, I have a question for you. You're, you're a little bit more pessimistic on Mobley than Chris or I. At three, if he's there, are you still taking him, or are you really considering taking someone else? 
<sighs> at three. Um, I, I think I probably take Mobley. Um, you know, I'm pretty intrigued by Jalen Suggs, but I don't think he's big enough. Um, I, I would very seriously consider trading down, but yeah, Mobley's probably the guy at three. Um, just from a consensus standpoint, um, I, I will admit this is the least engaged I've been in a long time about evaluating NBA draft picks. I haven't done nearly as much work on, you know, going through the film and reading all the, uh, draft profiles and all that. I've kind of left that to you guys. Um, but I trust kind of the index opinion. I think a lot of times, you know, it's better to just go with the index than it is to some of these GMs that go way off the beaten path and then kind of bust. You're better off going with the index. I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued by Mobley. If he can actually shoot, I think that's a much um, bigger fit. I also think it behooves you in that standpoint to try and improve Jared Allen's shooting. Um, but beyond that, <laughs> it's a qualified yes, I'll take him. <laughs> I, I'm not as high on him as you guys. I, I'm just really skeptical of a couple things about him. One, his legs look like twigs, uh, and that concerns me a little bit. Um, two, he's, like I said, not a great shooter. Three, Guys that big, and he's rumored to be as tall as seven two. Just don't have a great track record in the NBA. the The other side of that is he could be Kareem Abdul Jabbar. He could play for twenty plus years. You know, um, it just you just don't know. And I am racked with anxiety and indecision about everything in my life, let alone things that don't affect me remotely in my day-to-day like this. So, of course, I'm going to be super indecisive about that at this stage of my life. So, I, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but take that Nate for what Socrates you Socrates Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Socrates was a decisive man. I am not. <laughs> oh, do I have the wrong Greek guy? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I'm... I'm Nate uh, Jerry Seinfeld Smith of I'm going to make a decision and hedge it back, you know, five minutes later. What's oh, the you deal might go with, with Evan Mobley? <laughs> I thought you would do the Costanza, do the opposite. Uh, well, that that is also, like, there's some guys that are big on Mobley that kind of follow my Costanza uh, edict or, Ooh. or, or, you know, I think whatever that guy says, do the obvious opposite, and they love Mobley. So I don't know. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh lord, we can't. We can't end like that. We gotta. End. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What about you? I you are you all in on Mobley? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a little biased too because it's looking that way, and we as fans, short for fanatics, are going to you know talk ourselves into it. I mean. We talked ourselves into Anthony Bennett. I'm sure we can easily. <laughs> no, I easily. I never talked myself into Anthony Bennett. We can more easily talk ourselves into Evan Mobley than you know a Darius Garland. Uh, I'll or take a, a skinny Sexton. guy over a fat guy any day of the week <laughs> in the NBA draft. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I I think 
you know, as long as Larry Nance Jr. is still on the team after the draft, I, I will root for this team. So I, I certainly think you could do a lot worse than Evan Mobley. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to see what this product looks on, looks like on the basketball court. So, and you know, I'm watching something now on the 84 draft on NBA TV and just how amazing that draft was. And maybe this is the next incarnation of that. I hope so. Because the number three draft pick of the 84 draft was arguably the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan. So, and the number one draft pick was Hakeem Olajuwon. So, yeah, there we go. No love for Houston. Yeah, screw them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. The funny thing is, is I liked Houston before Tillman Fertitta bought the team. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. In other news, I guess uh, shifting gears a, a little, we've I think we've come to the end of the Matthew Dellavedova era in Cleveland, unless he has a you know late career end of season signing the way Anderson Verjao did. But he signed a three year deal with Melbourne, which makes me think that his you know, sojourn in the NBA is probably over. So uh, congratulations, NBA champion Matthew Dellavedova. Um, you know, he played pretty damn well uh, his first game in the Olympics, I think. He did. Uh, and uh, who has not played well is the, the USA team. Um, do you have you heard the rumblings that they don't love Popovich's coaching and that they're running the San Antonio offense in in Tokyo? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's and it's hilarious considering what we know about the roster. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean it it's so ridiculous. Like you got a whole bunch of uh bag bag guys uh who can manufacture a shot for themselves, but not really for anybody else. And also somehow they neglected to put anybody greater than seven foot tall. No, six nine. No six one taller nine. than oh, six, it's nine. six nine. Yeah. In 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 a in an environment in an environment where there's FIBA rules about um, the goal, you know, where you can knock balls off as soon as they touch the rim. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what a disaster. Uh, I'm with you. Who? I, I guess the counterpoint to that is all the best centers in the NBA right now are foreign players. Ooh. I mean, you got yeah. Embiid is Cameroonian, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Jokic is Serbian. Like, who are the best players? That they probably should have put Jared Allen on that squad, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't think it would be the worst option. Um. And I think that's part of the reason Love was there was to pull guys away from the rim. But right, right. I I actually think a Brook Lopez would have been super useful for that team. Oh, that was an, that'd be another great one. He probably is. Is he the best American center? Um, in the game today. Oh, that's a tough one, Eli. You got anybody to add? He might have to be so better. I, I I don't think there is. <laughs> I mean, you got Time Lord, Robert Griffin III, but again, he's like 6'8". Gobert's French. Gobert's French. Um, Vucevic is obviously not American. Um, You've got uh, Zubac. You've got... Sabonis isn't either. uh, Sabonis? um, Yeah, he's Lithuanian, I I think, technically. 
Yeah, I don't I don't see a guy that Christian can play Christian Wood. We're down to Christian Wood at that point. Yeah, and he was hurt all season, so I don't think they would let him play. Yeah, wow. That's a yeah, I think that's a huge issue. I think Jared Allen, like you said, might be the best option there. <laughs> I it doesn't seem like a very well constructed team. Uh like you said, I don't think they have enough, you know, their shooting is problematic too. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and part of the reason for their shooting being so problematic is their best playmaker is probably Draymond Green. Or I mean, who are the who are really the passers on that squad? Well, I mean, you've got you know? Dame Lillard. That's true. That's true. That's true. Although apparently he looked awful. So Drew yeah, Holiday well, can pass pretty well too. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, the you can actually hand check a little bit in. FIBA ball, and I think that hurts some of those guys that aren't used to that. Um, and, you know, especially a guy like Dame, who, as Austin Carr would say, might be a little light in the britches. So, <laughs> um, that's, it, a, that's a question for the, that's a question for you guys is, uh, are you guys, it seems to be the vibe online that FIBA rules are preferable to the NBA rules. What say you? Um, I don't. There's some parts of it that I like. I don't like the Phoebe intentional foul rule. Um, although I love the intent of it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, what you get in reality versus what you get in theory are two different things. I, I, everything else is, is pretty good. Um, you know, more contact away from the basket, less, I, I don't know. Is it, they call more, they call less away from the basket and more at the basket, right? As far as I can tell, I mean, it's just a much more physical brand of ball. I mean, it is, there's a sea change in the contact that's allowed on ball and off ball, in my opinion. Which is really striking because that used to be the advantage of the NBA was the physicality, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just not the case anymore. And, Absolutely. And it, yeah, that was 30 years ago. It's crazy. Well, it wasn't 30. It was 15, though. 15 oh, okay. to 20. Okay, my bad. But when they got rid of hand checking, I can't remember the actual rule. But yeah, I I think I don't love the ball touches the rim. You can knock it out, but it's not the worst rule. I I certainly think it would help the. I, who wants to stop the game for stupid goaltending calls with the ball hanging on the rim? You know that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what about you, Eli? FIBA or NBA rules? Oh, I wish you could take like a the best of both worlds approach, um, but think I think I still prefer NBA rules. I think an open game is a more fun game to watch, so I'll have to stick with that. Even though I do love defense personally, I just don't think every team can play defense in a pretty way. I I'll say that's true, but I also think so much of the NBA game now has become foul hunting, and that's really annoying to watch and. FIBA seems less like that, so I do enjoy that. I mean, nobody wants to see how many... I'm trying to think of who the guy that was just egregious at it late in the playoffs. I mean, obviously we've got the Nets. Yeah, Trey Young. Like, I just... Trey Young would get destroyed in international ball. And I just don't enjoy that brand of basketball where you're just foul hunting all the time. Did, did, Did either of you guys... 
No, I mean, that's why this is a conversation to begin with, um, is because that's the contrast people are noticing right away, especially with respect to the failures of Team USA, is that, God, these guys flop all the time and expect calls, and uh, they're just not getting them in international play. Even There was even a running commentary yesterday about Luca's behavior, that he'd already been oh, NBA, yeah. you know, he'd already been... Uh, fully conditioned by the NBA. <laughs> to, yeah, no, to, I watched know, them tonight in. against Argentina. Yeah. Two observations. Luis Scola is built like the bastard McMahon son. He looks like <laughs> Vince McMahon's bastard Venezuelan kid. I mean, he's just... I can't believe how good of a shape he's in. Um, and he doesn't have that greasy long haircut anymore. He just... I'm amazed he's still playing. Second observation... Uh, Slovenia, even with Luki, Lucas flopping, is ridiculously good. I'm not convinced that anybody's going to be able to beat him. Um, Ooh. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that might be as good of a team as there is. And although France is really good as well, and of course you've got uh, Spain is always great. Um, I, I don't think... I think there is a very significant chance... In fact, I'm going to call it right now. USA is not going to medal. In uh, are they even going to make it out of the group play? Oh, they'll make it out of group play because the rest of their group is garbage. Um, they'll okay. they'll win out in group. They'll win their next two group play games. But yeah, they are not going to. I don't think they're going to medal. And I think wow. hopefully you it heard is, it here first, folks. Hopefully it is a reckoning reckoning for Team USA uh, that you can't just you know, throw together a squad for the Olympics and hope to win. Um, and that you actually have to commit to these off year, uh, FIBA championship that they do in, you know, the two years, I guess it was 2018 that everybody else sends a team to, but the U S decided they didn't really give a crap about. So I hope that it's a call to action for team USA basketball and that Jerry Colangelo retires because he sucks um, and shouldn't be picking the NBA team anymore or the FIBA team for the U.S. anymore. Um, this was his last year. Oh, thank God. Who's taking over <laughs> for him? Is it Krzyzewski? Uh, that's a great question. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it be Krzyzewski as kind of the guy that takes over that role. It, it's a way to keep him in the game as kind of an elder statesman. Um, I don't know. I I'd like to see a Bishoshevsky. I think they named somebody already, but I don't know oh, who it God, was. I hope it's not Brian Colangelo and his burner account. Nothing nothing from either of you guys? You don't remember the Brian Colangelo burner account? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, man. my God. You guys, are, you guys are disappointing me. Let's wow. just say that. I'm just uh, I, I apologize. It's Grant Hill, by the way. Sorry. Oh, is it that's Grant what Hill? I was. Oh, that's a, yeah. Grant Hill's taking over. That's team right. That'd be a good one. That. That'd be a good one. Yeah, I'm surprised he's not coaching, but I think he's going to be the premier. Um, I think he's going to take over Chris Weber's spot as the uh, as the premier prognosticator for the NBA broadcast. So that'd be cool. I mean, no, I I think know. you already kind of saw it last year in yeah. the playoffs. So yeah. Speaking of that, though, isn't it kind of weird how, like, Marv Albert is retired? He, he did his last game. But I just think it's weird that he's, like, not canceled for what he did. And, like, no one's talking about it anymore. 
Is that just me, or am well, I bringing up really sore subjects? His weird, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, predilections of yeah, the backbiting yeah. and all that. Oh no, it was weird. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. But he's a weird guy. So, and the NBA is weird, and people love Mar loved Marv Albert's voice. So, yeah. and I yeah. think it was twenty years earlier, and it's hard to go back on what a guy you don't want to imagine having sex was doing. <laughs> Uh, 20 years earlier. So, I I just think, honestly, the reason he was never canceled is nobody ever wanted to think about it. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing so hard. Because <laughs> oh, that feels that feels very true, Nate. <laughs> I, I don't know. Eli, you, do you have a counter, counter take? No, I don't. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. But I just thought it was—I just thought it was weird that he, like, people, like, were still celebrating his retirement versus, you know, away from like, oh, I think that's exactly what made him. Oh, he was so freaking forked this year. Like, how many times did he get guys' names wrong? Like, it was more often it was embarrassing, than he got a, honestly. Yeah, yeah, like a name wrong than he got it right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not. I, I'm not sad to see him go. He he was past his prime. He was pre past the uh, sell by date a few years ago. So I'm I'm fine with where he's at now. Yeah, I mean, just the, I, I think it's safe to say at the end of the day, there's a spotty track record there about uh, <laughs> yeah. the NBA world and their respect for women. Yeah, uh, well, vis -a -vis and the the Chauncey Billups issues and and you know. That whole crazy ordeal and everything. Oh, yeah, that's a mess, too. I would say, you know, I'm not a huge Chris Webber fan, and I was super, I, I will say, happy to see him no longer calling NBA games because he was kind of a creep. Uh, like, the way he would talk about players' wives and stuff, like, during the bracket, it was weird and creepy, and I didn't like him. So I was happy sure to that's see not Mark go. Jackson? No, that was uh, Chris Webber was like that. Mark Jackson has his own set of. I don't understand why anybody finds that person appealing from an NBA broadcast. At least Stan Van Gundy has a bit of a shtick, although it gets old. Like there were games this off season where the entire broadcast was just you know two hours of. Mark Jackson and Stan Van Gundy arguing over slow motion instant replays of calls in between an actual game. You know, like the game was secondary to them BSing about replay and officiating for, for two and a half hours. It, it is maddening. I can't stand them on a broadcast. I actually think Van Gundy would be a lot better with somebody else, but we're alone. Usually that's, that's the, seems to be the consensus is that, uh, People enjoy listening to when it's just uh, Van Gundy and uh, Mark Breen, Mike Breen. Yeah, um, I, I'm not yeah. a Mark Jackson fan, and yeah. he was a, a a jerk and a weirdo in uh, Golden State, and I, I'd be happy to see him not call an NBA game ever again. So, NBA, get your stuff together. Yeah. What about? Uh, do you think the Cavs have the hood spot to finally put Austin Carr out at out to pasture this season? Like, I think it would be uh, nice if he, they just said, "Hey, Austin, why don't you think about retirement?" That makes, I'd, be, that just, I'd be I'd be okay with that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I I think he's I, I think it's time. 
May, maybe move to the studio with, with Campy and Fred Phelps. I could get with that. If he replaced Campy. I, I would, my personal dream is Channing Fry, but that's not going to happen. And the other thing I will say, you've seen a lot more of Richard Jefferson on national pod, uh, broadcasts, and he's been great. Uh, oh, yeah. I really like Richard Jefferson in the booth. He's a lot of fun. Oh, I totally 100% agree. What about the czar? Oh, well, yeah. I don't think... I think the czar is a little past his prime, too. Uh, I think he's good in doses. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. although he might be with the Clippers now, for like for sure. I don't, I don't know if he's legit with the Clippers or not. But. I, I think he's... A, I like the czar as much as we get him. I, I think any more is too much czar. <laughs> and... And that hairpiece has not aged since, you know, 89. Oh, wow. Wow. Dang. Nate with the heaters. I I am. I'm I'm, I'm bringing the heat. I've got my beaver stuff tonight. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm ready to see a new generation of NBA broadcasters. That's for sure. Um, I could not see... You know, I love Mike Green. I could not see... It, or uh, how do I phrase this? Marv Albert's retirement could not come soon enough for me. Yes, amen to that. Yeah, but I don't think I think we've kind of beat this into the ground, and we we shouldn't have too much else unless there's anything else NBA pressing that you either of you guys want to press want to bring up. Yeah, there mind. was a trade that got turned down uh, while we started this pod that leaked, and it was. The 76ers wanting to trade for the number four overall pick uh, for Ben Simmons. So it got turned down. It was o- The alleged trade was Ananobi, the fourth pick, and Van Fleet, um, which wow. is a lot. That's... I think that's way more than any any conceivable trade would be. So it not surprisingly got turned down. But I think the, the news that you could maybe take is if Ananobi is available – from a cast perspective, if Ananobi's available, would you do a trade where you trade down one spot and pick up OG Ananobi? I I've never been overly impressed with OG Ananobi. You know, I, think I don't only think do he's, that, if you yeah. think Evan Mobley's a generational talent, that's not a move you make. That's where I was just going to say, Nate, is yeah. I wouldn't do that unless Mobley's already gone. Yeah, maybe then you do. That that's a fair statement. Another actually, another late break in non trade was um, SGA in Oklahoma City for the uh, for the first pick was rejected by Detroit. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I well, Oklahoma has more of a vested interest in a guy like uh, Cade because he did play at Oklahoma State. Oh yeah, right. Um, that's a huge sell for them. Um, and that's a great player that you can market in that market. Um, so I think he probably does have a little bit more value, which is probably why you trade your only star on that team. Yeah, it's just weird that uh, I, what's funny is the, the scuttlebutt, I guess, surrounding the rumor was why didn't Detroit take that? <laughs> because I think Cade is, a, like a lot of people have said, he's got the highest floor and the highest ceiling. You right. know, he, right. he could be really, really, really good. And I don't think anybody thinks he is at the very least going to be a very high-level starter. So right. I, I just baffled why anybody 
would think that you would you would want to move that for an SGA who was hurt last year and you know a, a crapshoot, mm-hmm. uh, especially because SGA is got three years under his belt and he's due for an extension. Like if you're Detroit, do you want to be paying an extension right now? No, you want a guy who's on a rookie salary for three years before you have to draft an extension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I got another question for you, Nate. I'm always curious about your your takes. I think we actually, ironically, we're a little bit probably more contrarian to the mainstream, like the, all three of us. But even among us, we have a little different views. So um, this is a good opportunity. If uh, I don't if, think that's true. You don't think so? <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, we disagree even there. So uh, if Mobley were to go second, whether it be a trade, would you just – sit at three and take green or would you try like heck to get out of three in that predicament? Cause I'm kind of curious. The main reason I'm asking is how do you rank green higher or lower than Mobley? And what's your kind of general sense of if you had, if the Cavs had to take green, would you be okay with that? If I, I'm fine with the Cavs taking green. I actually think he makes a million times more sense from a fit standpoint. Uh, that being said, I think it does mean you end up having to trade Sexton because he just doesn't want to be a guy that comes off the bench, even though that might be his best role. And I think you have a really hard time selling him on that role with the Cavs. Um, but I would definitely look at moving down. I mean, I, like I said, if I could, if you could get five and eight or you know a really good player and somebody somewhere else in the a lottery, I would absolutely do that. Um, I don't think Green is, you know, head and shoulders above all these other guys. Um, and, and that's just where I'm at. Uh, I think Green's good, but he's he's a question mark to me, like so many of these other guys are. So I definitely would trade down. Um, but if there wasn't anything intriguing, I'd take him and develop him and hope for the best. 100% agree with Nate there. Um, I'm looking to trade, uh, definitely looking to trade. Uh, that would be hopefully the first option. Um, would I be fine with green being taken? Yes. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to trade down. That would, that would be exciting. Um, that would be exciting and scary because, you know, uh, there's increasing probability, I think, of risk the farther down you go there. But uh, I think trading down, I would not be mad if they trade down. Even if Mobley's there? No, no. This is just if Mobley's gone. I'm taking Mobley. Uh, probably. I mean, unless there's uh, unless there's a uh, you know uh, some type of um, uh, Godfather offer out. Interesting. Um, do you think there'll be a Godfather offer for the first pick? I think there is. I think the Cavs probably have offered like three Sexton and a lightly protected twenty-two pick. Uh, I wouldn't take that if I was Detroit either. Because I just don't no, think... No, you don't trade the sure thing for the, the crapshoot, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I just think the value on Sexton around the league is are really low compared to what Cavs fans think, so... Oh, I'm with you, and he's... And the main reason is he's not a guy that has contributed to wins, so... Right. <laughs> um, and it's hard to see a path towards that, given his size and his lack of... A, making his teammates better on offense, and B, defending. So, I, I, yeah, I, 
what about Houston? I think Houston would have a better Godfather offer. Like it would probably be Christian Wood and the pick, and then future picks. I think you have to think about that if you're Detroit, but ultimately you probably pass if you think that Kate Cunningham is a generational talent that you can build around for the next eight, nine years, which is why I don't think they'll move that for anything. I think, like I've said multiple times, if they don't take Cade, they owe their entire, they should just move the franchise somewhere else. They should just rebrand as the Sonics, the new Sonics. Ooh. Feel, I feel like we should be rooting for this then. Nah, nah. I, I don't root against <laughs> Detroit. I root for Detroit. I mean, when the Cavs aren't playing them. And when they're not doing that stupid Detroit basketball thing. I hate that. <laughs> but, I mean, when they're not doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with them. Uh, I stand small markets. I'm super thrilled Milwaukee won a championship. So, Hell yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, central exactly. division, central division represented right there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did we pod? We podcasted after the championship, didn't we? Oh, we didn't actually. We didn't. Wow. Yeah. No. So no. yeah, congrats to Milwaukee Bucks. It was. I I love Giannis. I just think he is a breath of fresh air for the NBA. A guy that just goes out and does stuff and acts and doesn't worry about how it will affect his brand. Um, he's super fun. He invited Rachel Nichols into the locker room. He invited Monty Williams into the locker room. He's just a fun guy who is Giannis and doesn't worry about the other things. You know, his favorite fast food restaurant is not the one endorsing him. It's Chick-fil-A who ne- declined to endorse him. You know, I-, I just I just think the guy's awesome. Um, and I'm super happy for him. And I'm super happy for that team. I'm super happy that my prediction of Chris Paul, Paul falling apart in the playoffs like he does every year finally happened, but it took the NBA Finals to make it happen. <laughs> um, you know, because there's nothing I enjoy more in this world than being right. So, any reaction? The agenda must live on. <laughs> it must. It must. Uh, any reaction to the Milwaukee Championship, Chris? Oh, I mean, it was just, uh, my reaction is, it's funny that it was uh, the marriage of two things, in my opinion. Uh, it was the Bucks improving their roster um, with Drew Holiday, um, with uh, P.J. Tucker, um, re-signing Pat Connaughton. Uh, so it was funny. It was, it was a combination of the roster being strong, but also what put him over the top was Giannis's superstardom. You know, they had the best player on the court at the end of the day, even though you could argue that maybe perhaps uh, the Suns were a deeper team, uh, maybe not so deep with the injury to Saric. But um, I mean, and on the flip side, the Bucks were missing DiVincenzo, which he was obviously a rotation player. Uh, he was so, a starter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a high level starter at that, I would imagine. Um, so, and probably, and really probably eliminated their small ball lineups like we discussed before, but, uh, it was just that uh, it was cool to see. It was kind of like the, uh, the bucks represented the two schools of thought into one of, do you, you need a good roster, uh, you know, one through 12, but you also need a superstar talent, you know, in Giannis. And it was just kind of, they brought all those ingredients together and made it happen. So, uh, happy for them. Great for them. It was awesome. No, I was happy so. too. I think we have probably not seen a player this athletic 
win an NBA championship and, and be the centerpiece of an NBA team since probably that first LeBron Miami championship. Um, because the guy is just ridiculously athletic. And the thing I loved about him so much is how hard he played. Like, he was just spent at the end of every quarter. Like, he just played so hard on every single possession. And it, it's impossible not to root for a guy like that. I, it was super and fun. The, and, and the fact that, you know, he was unafraid of failure. You know, yeah. like, he was he was unafraid of airballing free throws, unlike uh, somebody else we know, Ben yeah. Simmons. Uh, you know, it was that, that mental toughness and that grit that he brought to the game. Yeah, what was he, 11 of 13 dish. in the last game? Yeah. Something what, like that in game seven? Yeah. I think he only Did missed, he, like, two out of double digits. Oh, right, right. No, exactly. Yeah, he shot, like, 90% from the line. <laughs> yeah, no, he was great. Um, yeah. It was super fun. I mean, I was happy for Drew Holiday. I was happy for uh, Brooke Lopez. Um, uh, Chris Middleton, a guy who just made himself out of, you know, a second-round pick into an all-star. First uh, G League player to make an all-star game. You know, I love I I love that roster. Um, I I liked the Phoenix roster. A lot of guys I ro- liked on that team. I've always kind of had a love hate with Chris Paul because I think he is probably your hardest on the one that's most like yourself. And Chris Paul's an asshole on the court, which is probably if you've ever played with me is a apt description. Uh, <laughs> and I I just. You know, rooted against him. Um, I'm not a huge um, oh, who's Devin Booker fan. I think he's kind of a cocky bastard. So I was I was happy to root against him, but I was still happy they were there. Um, and I actually really enjoyed DeAndre Ayton's just whole demeanor and just he's kind of got an old man's game or an old man's game and an old man's face and a young man's body. So <laughs> it, it was a fun fun series for sure. I mean. One of the funner series, and one of the reasons it was fun is we didn't have so many preconceived narratives that or narratives that were just totally overwrought with you know LeBron and the Warriors and all that, and that was super refreshing. I don't know, Eli, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, as a Demon Deacon alum, it's a little sad that uh, Chris Paul Ooh. has still not won, but Jeff T did win one. With the hey, there we go. <laughs> so I was actually guaranteed at least one Demon Deacon to win an NBA championship um, since. But I heard Jeff it. Teague isn't getting a ring because he didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> dang! Obviously, Jeff Teague, Jeff Teague would have would have won a ring if Chris Paul won one too because he was like their worst player. I think. <laughs> Ooh, zing! Yeah, he had the Anderson Varejao uh, Double Agent Award. For the 20, uh, 21 NBA Finals. <laughs> yeah. But um, speaking of floors, of you brought up Chris Middleton. I actually think that could be Kay Cunningham's like floor. That's how high I am on uh, his game. So, yeah, no, just something I, I wanted to bring out there. Oh, yeah, no. And, I love and it. Chris Middleton, the other thing I loved about this, that whole, it was like the return in the mid range. Like, we saw so much mid-range shot making, and, and were, from yeah, I mean Chris Middleton, uh, Devin Booker, uh, Chris Paul, and my boy Frodo Eyes. Um, what's his stupid name? The backup power forward for uh, oh Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis, old Frodo Eyes. 
Um, just what a fun series. Uh, so well, happy for Milwaukee. No, you bring up a great point about the mid range and how good both teams were. Um, what's ironic about the series, the final series, is that these two teams were two of the best defensive teams in the playoffs. Yet they both turned in superlative offensive performances. I believe uh, for the for the series, uh, Milwaukee averaged uh, had an offensive rating of one fourteen over one fourteen, and uh, and Phoenix had an offensive rating over one twelve. So these were two uh, defensive minded teams that were really bringing it on the offensive end and taking every advantage possible on the offensive end. Absolutely, and and just the shot making was off the charts, and and the transition basketball. There were so many great dunks. I mean, how about that Cam Johnson dunk over? Um, was it Brooke Lopez <laughs> in uh, Game Five? I mean, it was just it was super fun, and to see a team go up two zero and then lose in six. I don't know if we've seen that before in the NBA Finals. So, it, it, yeah, it was it's a been great a while. Series. It's yeah, been a while. It's been a, yeah. Well, but I think we've beaten the NBA to death, and I think we've beaten this podcast to death. So, uh, you know, any last-minute things to pitch or parting shots, Eli? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe this isn't a secret, but uh, I believe Nate and I are going to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse to oh. go watch the NBA draft. Uh, it's weird saying that instead of the queue, but as... One of the newest uh, partial season ticket holders. I guess I'll have to get used to it. Um, <laughs> since we, it's, a, it's a rough life, Eli. <laughs> well, since Very moving back to since moving back to Ohio from San Diego, I gotta at least take advantage of the one thing of having a t- NBA team that I love and yeah. being affordable you, you to go to go games. see the Rams here. So can't do that. But uh, not a not a bad trade off, and uh, really look forward to. Spending time with Nate in person. I think it's our first time in person. Yeah. Despite knowing each other for like 10 years now, I feel like. It's been a uh, while. It's been but, a while. Um, There's definitely going to be some huggage. Oh, for <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, look forward to it. Um, I feel like because there's so much hype of all these trades that are possibly happening, nothing's going to happen. That's my take. Uh, but it'll be a fun night. You know, we'll go check out. I haven't been to the stadium since they spent all of Cleveland taxpayer dollars to get it done. So I'm excited to check that out and uh, hopeful that uh, it's a good night for us. Yeah, I, I hope we are celebrating, you know, more than one pick. Let's put it that way. I, I hope they get back in the late first or early second round, something like that. I hope, you know, um, <laughs> Larry Nance still a cab at the end of, end of the night. That That's probably my biggest hope, but... What about the you, giddy, Chris? The giddy dream is still alive. The giddy honey. dream is still alive. I'm, I'm giddy over it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? That would that would be the ideal. That that's all I'm pitching is, yo, Kobe, if you're listening, let's get Mobley. Let's sneak back into the lottery. Keep Larry Nance. That's yeah, a home run right there. Get giddy. A, yeah, giddy. That's right. We're go. giddy for giddy. So okay. that's what's up. <laughs> Uh, Chris, anything to pitch? Any parting shots? No, no, just giddy for giddy. Let's get it done. Okay, and I'm trying to think if I'm going to – do I have anything to pitch? I don't think I do other than uh, I will give a shout-out to my boy Simo 
because uh, I spent a lot of time at the beach last week on vacation. And as always, my Matthew Delavadova uh, Team Australia uh, jersey, direct from Perth, Australia, uh, courtesy of uh, Simo, uh, was on my back for uh, that. That was my cover up uh, to keep the ladies from swooning over my beach bod. And uh, <laughs> so I got, I got to give a shout out to my boy Simo and my boy Deli. And, uh, and a lot of people ask me, why are you wearing an Australia jersey? <laughs> like, what's the tie there? But uh, what one of my favorite memories of uh, Cavs of Blog is the, the jersey Simo sent me. So thank, thank you, mate. And uh, as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. And one more thing. Happy birthday to Evil Genius, uh, who's, who's is celebrating his... Compleaños today in uh, nice. in Hawaii. So happy, happy birthday, EG. Happy birthday, EG. And go Cavs. <laughs> go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blog podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.